his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the Because he lives, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still, the calm assurance. Uncertain days because he lives, because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives, all fear is gone because I know he holds the and life is worth the living just because he lives and then one day I'll cross that river I'll fight my final war with pain and Death gives way to victory. I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know He reigns because He lives. I can face tomorrow because He lives. Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Philippians chapter 3. We're in our study, Why Rejoice? Why Rejoice? Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3. In the New Testament, dealing with the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi here. And of course, 
he had a unique relationship with these people and they had supported him until they finally lost track of him for a couple of years finding out that he was in prison they ultimately sent Epaphroditus their pastor to go and to take a gift on his behalf a means by which to meet his needs and while they are uh, doing so Paul the Apostle sends a letter back by the hand of Epaphroditus to the church at Philippi and in this particular uh, book this letter in which he writes he is commending the church he's encouraging the church understanding that they are enduring great persecution that they are facing the many obstacles that any church would in a circumstance and situation like that in their culture and their society he's trying to encourage them and say listen it doesn't matter how dark it may seem it doesn't matter how difficult life may be let me tell you you have reason to rejoice and so the book of Philippians is a book that emphasizes this idea this philosophy this idea of, of, of rejoicing and, you know, we live in a day, obviously, over the last few months that it just seems that uh, if we're not careful, we could be discouraged, we could be depressed, we could be down in the dumps because we see trends that tell us that some of the freedoms that maybe we possessed and some of the opportunities that we had may be being stripped from us, maybe being removed from us. But may I say to you today that it doesn't matter how dark it may seem, the fact is God is still on the throne and we have great reason to rejoice. And the book of Philippians gives us great reason here as well. And so the very reasons that he gave to the church at Philippi to rejoice are reasons that you and I today can have to rejoice in the Lord. And so over the last few weeks, we noted the promise in Philippians 1, 6 that says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. And we realize that what God begins, he always finishes. And the fact is, is that he began that work in your life the very moment that the Holy Spirit took permanent residency up in your heart. You became a child of God. And the reality is you have every reason to rejoice. Why? Because you know you are saved, you are blood-bought, and you are God's child to the very end. You don't have to worry about losing it. You don't have to worry about it being discarded or somehow tripping over it. No, it is there. It's yours. He lives in you, and you are in Him, and it is begun, and He will finish the work to the very end. Not only that, but we noted the prize in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, 13 and 14, when he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Boy, Paul was saying a couple of things. One, he was saying the past has no power over me. I have reason to rejoice because that past does not hold me down. It doesn't hold me back. It doesn't keep me from fulfilling the purpose and the plan that God has for me in my life. I don't care what the world may say or what anyone may think. The fact is, is that I'm a somebody because he died for me. I'm special because he gave me life everlasting. I'm, I'm able to accomplish what God's given to me. He started that work. He'll perform it in my life. But not only that, that past is, has no power over me. Not only that, but we said not even past successes had power over us. We're not going to allow the past successes to keep us from moving and forging forward in the work of God. We just face every day as though the whole world is still lost and in need of Christ. And no matter how many victories, no matter how many triumphs we may experience in this life as believers, the fact is there are still scores and scores and scores of people that are perishing and going to hell that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and need to be brought into the family of God and ultimately raised up in the things of Christ that they may bring glory and honor to the creator that made them. Then finally today, as we move forward in our service, we want to start or begin the next step of our, uh, our next reason for rejoicing. And we're going to talk about the prospect. We saw the promise, the prize, but now we want to note the prospect. And so today I want you to take your Bible and I want you to turn over to Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21 this morning. 
Well, make it verse 20, I'm sorry. Let's read two verses today. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. We'll start there. Notice the passage says, and it is a tremendous passage. In chapter 3, it says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What a powerful passage it is. What a wonderful truth it is. And what a great reason to rejoice it is as a believer in Christ. It doesn't matter how dark the day may seem. It doesn't matter how many of our privileges are being stripped. It doesn't matter how many of the rights it seems we might be losing. It doesn't matter whether or not the, 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 the national government will recognize our tax-exempt status, whether or not they'll permit us to give without uh, and still receive a, 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 a tax-exempt, uh, um, you know, um, be able to claim it on our taxes. It doesn't matter whether or not they'll tell us we can continue to preach and proclaim the word of God with the liberties that we now possess or whether they tell us we can't, you know, we can no longer go door to door. It doesn't matter what they say. The fact is we have reason to rejoice today. Amen. And one of the reasons we have to rejoice, no matter how bleak it may seem, no matter how dark it may seem at times, we have a prospect. We have an expectation that the world does not have. And I want you to know that we have reason to rejoice today. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we're going to dig into that just a little bit and try to break it down some and see what that really means for you and I today as believers in Christ and why we really do have a reason to rejoice. Father, help us now today. Lord, we are just your servants, and <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we recognize and understand that, Lord, uh, we don't have all the answers, but thankfully you do. And Lord, as we face the world in which we live, and it may seem at times that troubles and trials enter into our lives, our families, our marriages, even into our culture, our country. The fact is, Lord, as believers, we have so many reasons to rejoice. And Lord, thank you for the book of Philippians and how the Apostle Paul encouraged the people at Philippi. And now, Lord, as he seeks, even now, as it's preserved in the Word of God, perfect for us today, we too can be encouraged as well in the times in which we live. Lord, help us, Father, to just lean on you today, to learn from you today to be different for having heard and received your word. May we leave here, Father, encouraged, inspired. We'll thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The prospect. First of all, we see our citizenship in this passage. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior. Notice our conversation is in heaven. The word conversation is an interesting word. First of all, the word conversation has to do with our actions as citizens of heaven. It has to do with our actions. It's not just a matter of conversation, our speech. When you see the word conversation in the word of God, it deals with our actions as well. And so we find here that he says our conversation is in heaven. What he's really getting at is this, is that, is that it affects or it deals with our actions as citizens. The passage is saying our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. And you know, citizenship in the day, the empire back in which uh, the Apostle Paul and these, these particular Philippians lived, uh, citizenship was highly regarded. It was highly regarded, first of all, because the fact was is that it was made up of mostly slaves. There was a number of slaves in that day. So when the Apostle Paul begins to speak of freedom, starts talking about citizenship. 
That you're no longer just a slave, but you are a citizen of a, of a, a country. That means that they are free. And so he's saying, listen, I don't care how many chains are around your ankles. And it doesn't matter how, how uh, many people have a claim to your life or a claim to your efforts or your, your energies. The fact is, is that you are a citizen of heaven today. And listen, heaven is your home. And the fact is, is that you are a citizen of that place. Amen. Boy, I'll tell you what, as proud as the Apostle Paul was to be a free man, and we know that he was, he had citizenship. He was a Roman citizen. The fact was is that he was much more pleased and proud of the fact that he was a citizen of glory. Now, this citizenship is open to every single person who allow Christ upon the throne of their life. Who will permit Christ to be sovereign, Savior, and Lord of their life. There's not one person on earth that cannot come to this place in their life where they become a citizen of heaven. God has provided that through Christ and His shed blood, the mercy and the grace. And so we all have opportunity as believers today, as well as those that are unbelievers, to be. We are citizens of heaven as a believer. But if you're not a believer today and you've never come to Christ, you've never acknowledged Christ as sovereign, you've never acknowledged Him as Savior, you've never said, you are Lord of my life, I want you to know you can be saved, you can be forgiven, and you can have eternal life. And you can also be a citizen of heaven. I mean, we are citizens of a celestial city. A wonderful place. I mean, what a homeland it will be. What a wonderful place it will be to dwell. We have streets that are paved with gold. We have walls that are made of jasper. We have gates that are made of pearl. You realize your city is an immaculate, wonderful place. I mean, there is a rainbow-circled throne up there in that particular city. There's a crystal stream that flows. There's a foundations that are of gems and precious stones. I mean, there are many mansions in that place in which we will dwell and one day ultimately live. But it is our place of residency. It is our city. We are citizens of that place called heaven. Right now, today, you and I are simply pilgrims. We are strangers in a foreign land. The moment we trust Christ, the moment we receive Him, this is no longer our place of residency. Heaven becomes our place. We are citizens of a new land, heaven. Every night we pitch our tent and spend another day that draws us closer to eternity and closer to our true homeland. We can never forget the moment that our citizenship was solidified. The moment we trusted Him. What a wonderful place heaven is. And we are citizens of it. The fact is, because we're citizens, we ought to, that ought to bear out in our lives. Because that's where really our residency is. That's where our permanent address really is. We ought to, it ought to affect us. The fact, that, that fact will help determine what we say. That fact uh, will determine where we go and It'll determine how we behave. It, it, it should determine and, and will determine if we're truly sincere in our decision and we're allowing Christ to rule in our life. It'll, it'll determine what pleasures we permit in our life. It'll determine how we invest our talent, what we do with our money. It'll affect how we treat other people and the amount of time that we spend in worship and in, in prayer and, and, and how we live our life for Christ. We're citizens of heaven. Therefore, our life ought to, ought to reveal or, or reflect that citizenship. We are to live on earth today as we would if, if we were living in heaven. You know, we often think, how will heaven be? What will it really be like? 
And you know, there's none of us that can really probably wrap our mind around what heaven will really be like. We see glimpses of it in the Word of God for sure. But the fact is, is that God has given us an outline of what holiness is and righteousness is and purity is. And He expects us to live as though we are in heaven. Our citizenship is there and we are to live a life that is reflecting of that citizenship. There's a number of other places that reinforce that idea in in the Scriptures. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He says in verse chapter 2, verse 6 of that same book, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm as good as there. And so are you if you know Christ as your Savior and Lord. We are now citizens of heaven. We are part of the heavenly household of faith, the Bible tells us. In Ephesians 2.19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You say, well, I thought we were strangers now. No, but we were strangers at one point to that land. We were strangers and foreigners to that faith. But now we are no longer that way. Matter of fact, over in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 again, just prior to him saying that in verse 19, he says in verse 11 and 12, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The fact is, before we were saved, we were citizens of this world. Citizens of, of, of this particular place, America even, if you want to call us citizens of that. And we are, but when we got saved, we became citizens of heaven. The fact was is that we had no real tie to God. We had no real uh, tie to the faith. But boy, when we trusted Christ, all of a sudden, we were no longer foreigners to that. We're no longer uh, strangers to the truth. We're no longer strangers to the covenants of promise that God gave to everlasting life and to fruitfulness and blessing in the Christian life. Now we have access to all of that. Why? Because we are in Him. We're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the household of faith. Jesus in His prayer in John chapter 17 makes an incredible statement. And that statement reflects the dramatic shift that's taken place in your life and in mine from the time we became the time we were born to the time we became citizens of heaven. He says in John 17:16, "They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world." Do you get that? You're not of the world. I'm not of the world. Even as Jesus wasn't of the world. He came into this world and he lived his life on this celestial globe, but let me tell you he was not of the world. He may have lived on on the 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 the, the actual physical earth But he was not a citizen of the earth. He was still a citizen of heaven. He was just on a mission. And here he sojourned in this world. And that's exactly what you and I do. We sojourn in this world. We are foreigners today because of our faith in Christ. And our citizenship is in heaven today. And we ought to look, act, and live like citizens of heaven. Have that blessing. Matter of fact, so much so that we note over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, the Apostle Paul identifies us as a certain particular thing, an ambassador. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, he says, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. I mean, we represent a different country. 
Hey, listen, every time we go to the restaurant, every time we go, walk into the, the hallways of the school, every time we, we serve the Lord out in the public and even in the confines of the local church, let me tell you something, we are representing our king and kingdom. And we need to be very careful and understand that we are citizens of heaven. I don't care how dark and bleak the world may be. You and I have a celestial home that is beyond anything in comparison. Not only do we see that there in the passage, the, our citizenship, but in our passage we also see His coming. Because we're citizens of heaven, we're to be looking upward each day, it says. I mean, that's where we're from, really. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I went into the military, I lived in Akron, Ohio before I left, and I remember getting on a bus and heading on up to Cleveland and eventually got on that railway thing they got up there and I headed on them to the to, to uh, out to the airport and they put me on an airplane and sent me down to boot camp I still remember spending time there and then ultimately my AIT my advanced individual training I spent months there and before long I was sent overseas to Germany there in Nuremberg Germany I spent a year and a half there or something like that and then of course I ended up in Oklahoma for a while but the fact is is that while I was away from home I still remember fondly thinking of home I still remember at times missing home, missing mom and missing dad and missing my brothers and missing even the old meatloaf that mom made that I never could stand before I went away. I thought, boy, that meatloaf, I'd even like a piece of that. And my mom laughs about it because I've told her the story, so I'm not really making fun of her or anything. But that wasn't her best dish. I'll tell you that right now and she'll admit it. But let me tell you something. I missed it and I longed for it. Why? Because that was home. May I say that as citizens of heaven, we ought to long for home. There ought to be something in our heart and our lives that says, Oh God, I can't wait to get reunited with you. I can't wait to see you in person. I can't wait to walk the streets. I can't wait to enjoy the fellowship. Citizenship. But because of that citizenship of heaven, we now are looking upward because our heart is to heaven now. And so we look for His coming because at any moment our King could call us home. Whether it's through the rapture, whether it's through death. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, we're citizens. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that uh, during the time of the Lord Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, that there came a point where he was going to hang on Calvary, where he knew that his life was going to end, and he began to prepare his disciples for his homecoming. His disciples, of course, were not real thrilled with the idea of losing the one they traveled with the last three years. The one that they had abandoned, uh, you know, work and job and everything for. They had hoped to sit in, uh, on each side of him and rule and reign in a visible, physical kingdom. But instead, Jesus had another plan and it incorporated and included the Gentile, who ultimately, during this dispensation time which we live, you and I have been saved. And he says to his disciples in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. We see the ex ex exhortation in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let me encourage you, he says. You believe in God, believe in me. Don't doubt me. Don't doubt me. I know what I'm doing. Please, please. 
We see the explanation. You don't have to doubt me. Let me tell you, my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's, that's pretty good. Don't worry about it. Don't be troubled. Believe in me just like you believe in God. Why? Because, let me tell you, there's some mansions up there and I'm going to prepare one for you. We see the expectation in verse 3. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. He says, that's right, I'm going to leave. But let me tell you, I'm not going to depart. I'm not going to forsake you. The fact is, not only will I be dwelling in you, but you can keep your eyes to the sky because the fact is, I'm coming back for you. And let me tell you that where I am, there ye may be also. Any day, any moment, the trumpet could sound. Any moment, the trumpet could sound. And we'd be gathered into His presence. And we'd be going home. And may I say today, if we're not careful in our lives as believers, we somehow get the idea that that home in which we spent all those hours and all that time and all that money to provide is where we really live. That's what's really important. That's all that really matters. But let me tell you something. You have a home in heaven because you are a citizen and God has prepared a mansion for you and He's coming back to receive you unto Himself. Don't you get too tied down to this world. You're simply a foreigner. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim just passing through. Finally, we see the change. And this is the part I really love because this is where I think the real rejoicing comes in my mind. Well, I think that's all pretty rejoicing, reason to rejoice. But notice what it says here in verse 21. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 now, our passage. Who shall change our vile body? Now again, we understand we're citizens as we live here on earth. We're citizens of heaven. And we're to be looking for the return of Christ. We're to be continually keeping our eye on the sky. We're going, to rejo- we're going to join the Lord one day at His coming or at our home going. But at that point in our life, wonderfully, He says, Who shall change our vile body? He's talking primarily about the return of Christ. See, if you die today, right now, you will be in heaven with the Lord. You'll be in His very presence. But you won't have what we're going to talk about here in a moment yet. You only get that once He returns. Now, it'll seem like that fast to you because time ceases in his presence. So don't worry about it. It won't be like you'll be going around like Casper the Friendly Ghost or anything. You'll be fine, okay? But here, here he's talking doctrinally about the return of Christ, saying you're citizens of heaven, and therefore, while you're on earth, you ought to be bearing that out in your daily walk in life, living like a citizen of heaven. Helping people see what heaven's really like. Then he goes on to say, but I'm coming back for you. And when I do return for you, there's going to be a change. Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I mean, not only do we have heaven and the very presence of our wonderful Savior and King Jesus Christ to look forward to, But we also have the hope of a changed body. (laughs) A new body. A celestial body. A heavenly body. A body that will will accommodate our new surroundings. Take your Bible if you would look to Luke chapter 24. Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead. He's already met with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And now he's going to meet with his disciples. Luke chapter 24. Verse 36. I'm often amazed, to be quite frank with you, how 
we as believers will look at passages in the Bible like this, you know, Christ's resurrection. We're like, man, those disciples, how stupid could they be? I mean, God, God told them he was going to raise from the dead. And then when he does, they act like they don't even know what's going on. I mean, God just provides for your, for your financial need one month. And you are like, I don't know how it happened. I don't get it. Wow. Can you imagine? If, can you imagine if I said to you, listen, I'm going to die next week, but don't worry, I'll raise from the dead in three days, and I'll be back to preach again. Let me tell you something. I don't care, I don't care how, how much you believe me. There'll be something in your heart, that, in your mind that would say, eh. I mean, how many people raised from the dead even in Jesus' day? And here's this guy running around telling you he's going to raise from the dead. Now listen, I understand. Oh, he was God. Yeah, I know. But uh, if, if I was living here and one of these guys said, I'm God, and God had never showed up and he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, but the fact was is that just like everybody else, I wondered who in the world he really was. He told the devils, don't tell everybody who I am. They got to figure that out on their own. Fact is, I'd have a hard time believing you're going to raise from the dead, son. And you know what? We get, we, what kills me about how we think about them guys? That, well, they, they didn't have any faith. Are you kidding me? Young person runs around here, you know, willing to sell their soul just to find a girlfriend. You know, and all of a sudden now, you know, this, these guys are told, hey, Jesus is going to raise from the dead, so be faithful in the midst of that while you wait. We can't even wait for a girlfriend, let alone wait for a resurrected Savior. So I don't really have a bad opinion of these guys. I think they're probably more like us than we'd like to admit. But we're, watch what happens here in Luke 24. He shows up in their midst. Look at their response. Look how they respond to him. After everything he told them, though, notice how they respond. And as they thus spake, verse 36, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Hey, listen, I'm raising my hand. I'd have done the same thing probably. I think that would have been me. I wish it wouldn't be, but it probably would have been. Because I don't see any of them really that solid on this thing. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, why are you troubled? Why, do you thought, why did thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. It is, I, it, is, it is, excuse me, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for the spirit hath not flesh and bones, and ye see as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he shewed them his hands and his feet. And while they, they yet believed not for the joy and wonder, they were amazed. He said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. You know, I think he ate before them on purpose so that they would realize, Hey, it's me, really. You're touching me, but watch, I can eat and it don't fall out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not a spirit. I'm the real deal. I'm the very one you left in the garden, who went to the cross, who was buried in a tomb, and now stands before you alive. But what I want you to see from the passage is, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? There's a couple things about that body then. It's like the one Christ had. Glorious body. A resurrected body. That's the body you and I will have. It doesn't matter how dark the days may come. It doesn't matter how bleak the situation and circumstance in our culture and in our society is. The fact is we have reason to rejoice because we're going to have a new body, a changed body. 
not going to be like it is now. <laughs> he says, our bodies will not experience physical limitations. Well, that'd be good. I mean, I like that. Jesus simply shows up in the midst. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. No physical limitation. I mean, it'd be like I'm standing out there. And next thing you know, I'm standing here. How would that happen? It's because I have a glorious body, one like unto the Lord's, one like Jesus Christ. A new body, a changed body. Have that to look forward to. Not only that, but our bodies will be adapted to both the physical and the spiritual worlds. After his resurrection, Mary meets with the master at the tomb. You remember that? She runs into Jesus. She's like, wow, Jesus. He's like, yeah, it's, it's me, Mary. She's like, oh, it's you, Lord? It's you? Yeah, it's me. Wow. Mary had some faith, though, didn't she? She's told not to touch him. Don't touch him? In our passage, he's telling the disciples, he's telling touch me, handle me, go ahead. Check it out, make sure I'm the real deal. But here, Mary, right there at the tomb, he says, don't touch me. You know why? He hadn't ascended to the Father yet. The fact is, the Bible says in, in John 20, 17, Jesus said, then, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I have ascended unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. So Jesus had a, 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 an errand to run. After he had died on Calvary, after he had shed his blood, he had an errand to run as he was resurrected that third, that third morning. He had to run an errand to heaven. I wonder what he was running to heaven. Well, let me tell you what he ran to heaven. He ran that precious blood that he shed on Calvary, and he placed it on the mercy seat so that every time God looks at your sin, he sees the blood of Calvary, and he says, paid in full. I'm glad that the blood's on the mercy seat. And every time God sees me, such a great sinner, he sees that blood and he says, paid in full. So then now he makes his way back and he's already seen the Father. He's already presented the blood. He's already made a, a, a reconciliation on our behalf in that regard. And now all of a sudden here he is. He says, handle me. Check me out. See if I'm not who I claim to be. I'm the real deal. We'll have bodies adapted. He was in heaven and he's now on earth. He's able to function in both the celestial and the, phys the physical and the spiritual realms. What a wonderful thing. Just like that. Not only that, but we will experience no pain. It would be a wonderful thing to have no pain. In Revelation 21, 4, the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. There are no words that are adequate to describe the agony, the suffering, the sorrow that accompanies death, that accompanies hurts and heartaches of this life. Death and its accomplices are merciless. One day, though, while we're robed in our new bodies, there'll no longer be death, nor sorrow, nor crying, or any pain. You know, we'll no longer need canes or wheelchairs or braces to walk. There'll be no need of glasses or hearing aids. We'll never grow old in that land, in that city. Our bodies will, will forever retain their youthfulness and their resilience. Won't that be a wonderful place? Why? Because of this changed body. Hey, we have reason to rejoice today as believers. We have reason to rejoice. Because of the prospect, our citizenship. 
I mean, we have reason to rejoice because of His coming. Because of the change that will take place in our bodies. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing. But it does us good to think and reflect on tomorrow, the future. You are a citizen today of heaven. And Christ may come today or tomorrow. But what we have to look forward to is so glorious that it gives us great reason to rejoice. I wonder, are you saved? Do you know Christ is your Savior today? I mean, are you confident that if you closed your eyes in death, you would awake in the very presence of the Lord? Because, you know, that's so valuable and so important. People say, I don't think you can know for sure whether you're going to go to heaven when you die or not. Well, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You can know heaven's your home. You can know that you're a citizen of heaven. You can know that God is your Father. You can know that one day your eyes will open in a place called heaven. It all begins with a relationship between you and Him. It's not about you alone. You can't do it by yourself. He has to save you. He created you. And He alone can save you. And He alone has a purpose and a plan for your life. Boy, it would do you good to get in on that plan and purpose. But you can't do that till you first come to a relationship with Him. You have to enter into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you do that, He begins to unveil and, and reveal His will and His plan for your life. And boy, it's so much better than the will and plan that Satan has for you. Don't allow anyone or anything keep you from Jesus. Come to Christ today if you've not already come to Him. And if you are a child of God, don't ever forget you're already a citizen of heaven. You, you're just a pilgrim, a foreigner in this land. Someone says, do you care what happens to America? Yeah, I care what happens to America because my family lives here. And, and I care about what happens in other countries too because people live there that God loves. But here's the bottom line. I can't let what's going on in this world keep me from remembering the many promises and blessings and the reality of my citizenship in heaven. I, I know what I have there. It may get tough here, but I know what I have to look forward to. And I just want to encourage you as a believer, remember where you're from. Live and act like it. Claim the promises of God and permit yourself to rejoice in your relationship with Him. Father, we come to you.